Let us pray as we come before God in the reading of the word. Holy Spirit, enlighten our minds. Give us light. Give us eyes to see your word. Jesus Christ, the living word, made flesh in the words of these pages we read today. That we may know him. That we may follow him as your your sent ones, your people on a mission in the world. This we pray by your spirit and in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 6. We'll read the whole chapter. The words will be on screen. I invite you to open a Bible if that's convenient to you to follow along. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid hands on them. And so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. An opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. They were Jews from Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. And then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And so they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stops speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, it it may seem to you that we've jumped ahead in the Bible a little bit since last week. I mean, we've been in the book of Luke since Christmas. It's been a long time walking with Jesus through Luke. And suddenly now we're in Acts, and we're already in chapter 6. How did that happen? Well, we were last on the road to Emmaus with two of Jesus' followers, probably the saddest followers of Jesus ever. They were on Easter evening going away from Jerusalem, their hearts weighed down with sorrow. And they met Jesus on the road, but they didn't know it was him. And they said, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And somehow Jesus revealed himself to them in the breaking of the bread. When they sat down at the table, they saw him. And then 
Then he disappeared. But they got right back up and they went back to Jerusalem and they told the good news to the followers of Jesus. Because the gospel of Jesus isn't good news until it's told to somebody. And so they swap stories with the disciples about meeting the risen Jesus. And then Jesus, uh, before he ascends to heaven, he tells the disciples these things. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus come, uh, tells them that that's what's going to happen. And that is indeed what happens throughout the whole book of Acts. That's the basic outline of Acts. Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We'll be studying the book of Acts for just a few weeks now, from now until Pentecost, about four Sundays from now, mixed in with some chapters from the book of Galatians. Because the Spirit comes at Pentecost, and we'll see how the church grew from this group of a hundred or so followers of Jesus to thousands and thousands of them. And they spend their time in prayer and fellowship and worship. They share money and they care for the poor among them. Everything's perfect until, until it isn't. And today we'll see how the church, how the Spirit moves the church from conflict to calling to commission. Three points, conflict, calling, commission. Now this is a rare three-point sermon from your pastor. Usually I, I follow the story of the text and it just happens that today's story seems to have three points to it. Conflict, calling, and commission. So we'll start with conflict. Conflict arose pretty quick in the church. Luke says it had to do with some widows. Some of them spoke Greek and some of them spoke Aramaic. The gift of the Spirit had just come on the church at Pentecost. The gift was this gift of tongues, of languages, where everyone heard the word of God in their own heart language. And there were Jews from dozens of countries who were gathered in Jerusalem at that time. And this was the beginning of the church. It was multicultural. It's a bit surprising that the first conflict of the church had to do with culture, though. You know, it wasn't about theology. It wasn't about the words Jesus said. It was a practical matter having to do with language and culture. One theologian says the first conflict in the church started with meals on wheels. It started in the kitchen. There were two sides, as there always are. You know, even though really all of them should have been on the same side, they were all Jews, But some of them spoke Greek uh, because they came from big cities outside of Jerusalem, along the coast, or even down to Egypt. And some of them spoke Aramaic, a a language a lot like Hebrew. It was the language of Jerusalem and the countryside. It was the language of poorer people. It was the language of most of Jesus' followers up until that time. And every day, these early followers of the way, as they called themselves, they distributed food to those who needed it. Somehow, these Greek-speaking widows were being left out. We, we don't know how, but it isn't that surprising. They didn't speak the language. They were being left out because they didn't speak the language that most of the other Christians did. All 12 of the disciples spoke Aramaic, not Greek as far as we know. And probably most of those core 100 spoke Aramaic. So somehow, probably by accident, these widows who spoke Greek were left out. They weren't being cared for. And that's especially important because Jewish widows should be cared for by their community. They wouldn't have received any inheritance. They have nothing to fall back on. They're left destitute, and they have to depend on the goodwill of their community to take care of them. And it's worth pointing out that not all of them were poor. We know that there are wealthy widows in the Bible. Some of them hosted churches in their homes. Some were leaders in churches, but they were definitely being left out here. 
And the 12 disciples gather to set things straight. They say, you know, it would not be right for us to, to neglect the ministry of the word of God to wait on tables. It, it might sound a bit arrogant to you. It does to me, honestly. But like the ministry of the word is, is more important than all the other ministries we do as a church. And as your pastor who stands up here all the time, I want to tell you that that's not exactly true. Yes, it is important to preach the word and to do it well. It is special. It requires a lot of training. But, but there are so many other ways we, we serve the church. And giving witness to the good news of Jesus Christ isn't just for pastors or apostles, as we'll find out in the rest of this story. So the 12 disciples have a solution. It seems like a pretty good one. Delegate the dirty work. They, they ask these brothers and sisters of the church to choose seven men to serve. What are their qualifications? These people should be filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And then the disciples, they give them the responsibility of waiting on tables to these seven men so that they can focus on prayer and on the ministry of the word. Now, one note here, that word waiting on tables, well, some scholars think it might have meant handling the money. Why? Well, if you've ever put on a big event uh, that feeds lots of people, you know that it takes a lot of money to feed a lot of people. They had to manage all that money faithfully. They had to serve the needs of their community. These were the first deacons called to meet the needs of the church out of this conflict. And today we see that uh, the church of Jesus Christ suffers conflict too, like the early church in Acts. And it seems that most of the conflict in the church happens over practical things. You know, not the, the big theological debates, but meals on wheels, uh, ordinary everyday things. We, people in congregations have disagreements over uh, how to decorate the church or uh, what kind of music we should sing or what time the church service should be. And it's not surprising that it happens this way. See, that's how it's always been, as we can see in the book of Acts. And uh, that word, um, we, we see that it happens even in this congregation too. I'm sure you all have lived through a lot more church conflict than I have in, in my years. Well, Take heart. It, it happened in the early church, too. And the apostles came up a plan with a plan to deal with the conflict. They started a new committee. They, they put some of the loudest people on it. Notice they, they, the qualifications were that these people listen to the Holy Spirit. These people are supposed to be chosen because they are full of the Holy Spirit. And here's the secret about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Anytime you read a story in the Acts and it mentions the Holy Spirit, remember that that's the most important character in the whole book, not any of the apostles or followers of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. And anytime the Holy Spirit does something in the book of Acts, it's, it's usually moving and disrupting the way things are and pushing the church into a new way of doing and being and following Jesus. The Spirit won't let the church sit still in the book of Acts. The Spirit moves. And that's the same today. The Spirit moves us. The Spirit guides us as we listen to the Word. In fact, the most important thing the Spirit does for us every day is helping us interpret or understand God's Scripture, applying it in our hearts. And when you hear God's Word, it's the Spirit that applies it to your heart. It's the Spirit that makes those connections in your head to other parts of your life, uh, between the Word and your life. It's the Spirit that convicts you of sin. Uh, the Spirit guides you back to righteousness. And the Spirit equips you for service. And that's just a little bit of what the Spirit does. Now, the Spirit is at work, too, in the early church. The, the Spirit gives wisdom to this early group of believers. 
And they, the Spirit calls seven men to be this first group of deacons. Luke lists their names for us, and Stephen gets special billing. He's the first one, and he's the only one who, about whom it says that he is full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Of course, all of them we know are, because that's why they were chosen. But somehow Stephen is especially full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And so are the rest of them. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. And six of them we know are are Greek-speaking Jews just from their names. They're not Aramaic names. These are people who spoke Greek so that they could especially serve the Greek widows. And uh, Nicholas, we know, is from Antioch, a really important Greek city that will show up later in Acts. It's it's where Paul uh, uses as his home base for his mission. And Nicholas converted from paganism to Judaism, and he is a follower of Jesus. Philip will hear from next week, too. Uh, there's a great story about him. And the Spirit calls these seven men, and, and the church ordains them as deacons. So they lay hands on them, and they pray for them. And that's where we get our idea of ordaining elders and deacons. And the word deacon here, diakonia in Greek, it means simply service or servant. The word is everywhere in the story of the early church, not just in this chapter, but throughout the, the whole rest of the New Testament. And here, diakonia is translated as uh, serving in the distribution of the food. It's, uh, the second time it shows up, it's translated as waiting on tables. But diakonia is the word. It's, it, it sounds like a lowly position to our ears, as someone who waits on tables, someone who serves, a, a, like a, a server in a restaurant. But this is the only place in the New Testament that word refers to food. Most of the time, the, the idea of deacon is this, this person who functions as an agent of a higher-ranking person, kind of like a messenger or a diplomat. A deacon is, is like an ambassador. A deacon is a servant. A deacon can be a preacher. A deacon is a fellow worker of Christ. And this passage might give you the idea that uh, only men can be deacons because uh, the, the seven men chosen, uh, people chosen are men. But we see later that Paul uses the same word to refer to women who are deacons in the church. Phoebe, for example, is a deacon in the church of Ephesus who is specially entrusted with the letter to Rome, to the church in Rome. She takes it to Rome as Paul's ambassador, Paul's representative, Paul's deacon to serve in that new community. And the whole plan works out great here in chapter 6. The the word of God spreads. That's the most important thing. Many people in Jerusalem see the witness of these early believers, the way they care for one another, the way they care for the poor, and they want to follow Jesus too. And there's this thing I never noticed before. It says that many priests became followers of Jesus at this time. That's a surprising thing to me. But the crazy thing about the Spirit's work here is that the Spirit disrupts even these awesome new roles that they just came up with. These deacons, presumably they're supposed to focus on distributing food so that the apostles can do the ministry of the word. Uh, That seems to be what they're told to do, but that's not what happens. These deacons turn right around and become preachers too. Stephen does. Philip does. They, They turn around and filled with the Holy Spirit, they preach the word of God. And what the Spirit is doing is this. The Spirit is moving the church from conflict through calling to commission. The Spirit commissions Stephen to be a preacher of the word. And it starts with his deeds of power, with these acts, these miracles, these healings and such, although Luke doesn't tell us anything about them. But he, these deeds lead to words, and pretty soon Stephen is preaching and, and teaching and debating. And the Spirit leads him to preach not to the easiest crowd, but to the leaders of the Jews, to the ultra-Jewish synagogue groups, to the hardest audience out there. And even they cannot stand up to the wisdom 
that the Spirit gives him. The, the commission of the Spirit continues through conflict because preaching the word sometimes stirs up opposition. But that isn't always a bad thing. We see that they accuse Stephen of blasphemy against Moses and the temple, and they, they seize Stephen and bring him before the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish council of elders, just like Jesus was. And just like Jesus, Stephen is filled with the Spirit and his face is changed and he speaks these words of wisdom. He preaches. He gives the sermon of a lifetime, this long historical account of how God has been working redemption through his people from Moses onward until this time. It was a sermon probably a lot like Jesus' words on the road to Emmaus. It is a sermon so good that it leaves his face shining and it opens his eyes to see this heavenly reality. It's a sermon so good that it gets him killed. Because that's what happened to Jesus too. He, accu- he was accused of blasphemy and condemned for it. He didn't defend himself. He, he spoke the truth even when it leads to his death. And Stephen the deacon ends up dead by the end of chapter 7. He is stoned to death by an angry mob, a, a lynching mob. Unlike Jesus, he forgives them. He commends his spirit to God. And Stephen, this first martyr of the church, dies in a most Christ-like way. And the spirit is moving through it all. See, this act of violence, this conflict that leads to violence, it leads to the scattering of the church. And Acts 8 begins with saying that the church was persecuted and scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Judea and Samaria. That sounds familiar. Isn't that what Jesus told, where Jesus told his people to go be witnesses? Uh, yes. And, and by now, Jesus, uh, the Spirit's work in Stephen, and, uh, the, the, has got the church exactly where they should be in Judea and Samaria and beyond to the ends of the earth. See, the Holy Spirit is constantly at work in the book of Acts, disrupting and moving and changing, not just comforting and befriending, but empowering people. The the Spirit gives them the kick in the pants that they need to get going. The Spirit moves the church through conflict to calling, to commission, and that's what the Spirit does today. The Spirit moves us through conflict, whether it's a mask wearing or COVID rules like we've been through this year, or, or whether it's past questions about worship and music, The Spirit of God is always moving the church through conflict to calling. And the question is, what is the Spirit of God calling us to today? Well, the Spirit calls some of us to serve as elders or deacons or ministers. And the Spirit calls all of us to serve, of course. As a wise person said, the word deacon is a verb, not a noun. And the Spirit gives gifts, as the Spirit does, in in ways that seem random to us sometimes. The Spirit's gift-giving doesn't follow our human rules and roles about who should do what. The Spirit gives gifts in the book of Acts, and the church better notice, better wake up, and use them. So how is the Spirit working among us now? Uh, what, What gifts has the Spirit given our community that aren't being used? And how has the Spirit called you to serve? See, pay attention. Get up and use those gifts like these early followers of Jesus. But remember that it's God who opens hearts. It's God who does work through our gifts, not the gifts themselves. After all, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, full of God's grace and power and faith. And what happened to him? He got killed for preaching the word of God. In human terms, his ministry failed. And yet, not 
for the Spirit. The Spirit moved the church through this time to mission, and the Spirit commissions the church to go. See, we're not part of the church if we're not on a mission, and it starts in Jerusalem, but it can't stay there. It, it moves into Judea and Samaria, and from there it's to the ends of the world, whether it's a, in Laos or Ellsworth or Atwood or East Jordan. The Spirit is on the move, and the church better move with it. The Spirit moves the church through conflict, through calling, to commission. And one commentator says, the church was born in that tight space between faith and fear. And it forever lives in that space. And only the Holy Spirit keeps that space from collapsing in on us. See, we've heard those words, faith and fear, thrown about these days. And I'm not sure we know what we're talking about. Are we afraid of losing some cultural power that the church used to have? Maybe should have never had? Or are we afraid of something deeper, something rooted in God's redemption, what God is doing in the world? If all we're afraid of is the doors closing on the church, then we're missing something. See, the church isn't a church unless it's on a mission. It's a a commission. It's a mission with God. And the mission is redemption. The mission is salvation. It's the mission that God has always been doing in and through his people. It's through Jesus that God reconciles the world to himself. And we... We are his servants, his deacons, his ambassadors of reconciliation in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. O Holy Spirit, you who stir our hearts and set them aflame by the power of Jesus' words, by the the good news of his resurrection, move in us now in each of us and in all of us collectively and in your church universal to be faithful to your word, to hear your spirit moving us to mission, to to respond to the spirit's gifts, to uh, to use them faithfully and well in the world. God, we trust that you are guiding us even now. And we know that we haven't always done a good job of listening, but we pray, open our ears to hear, open our hearts to, to love and our feet to follow you on the way. May we follow you on the way of service. May we follow you on the way of suffering, on the way of of persecution, on the way of the word, for that is the way of Jesus. We trust that you're doing that even now, that you've spoken to us individually and together as we hear your word, and that you are guiding us to, to, to mission in this place you've planted us. We pray this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As a a song of response, I'd like to lead us in singing a hymn called God of Grace.